So a would-be assassin shows up on the doorstep of Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house while the left continues to play politics with January 6th and gun control but has very little to say about this incident. I'll lay out some of the most common gun control talking points that we're hearing right now and try to interact with them so that we can critically think about what's really going on with the issue of gun control. We'll talk about that and more today on IndieThinker. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching the show today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe today. We're gonna have a conversation about gun control that I think is really important to, to, to have, but ultimately, you should know this, what we're always after here at IndieThinker, because I'm a Christian first and foremost, is to try to provide thoughtful and engaging conversation that bridges the gap between faith and reason. So it'll be our attempt to do that today, but in the process, even if you don't fall either on the reason side of things or the faith side of things, hopefully somewhere in between, you'll get some meaningful conversation that will try to help you critically think about the subject of gun control. Uh, the reason I think it's important to talk about this, by the way, is that we're hearing so much from a particular side of the aisle about this stuff, and there is so much misinformation. And in fact, I can really only liken it unto the, uh, the pro-abortion kind of arguments that you hear about why it's important to to be able to abort your baby. We hear so many misinformed arguments on that side of things that I think it's important to also talk about gun control because there are many, many really clear misguided arguments about gun control that I think we just, that we need to talk about. So um, before I jump into any of it, I wanna make a really quick disclaimer. So. I, what I am not going to do today is try to insinuate that the guy that showed up on the lawn of Justice Kavanaugh's house, which we'll get into in a minute, that had the intent of trying to do harm to him and his family and whoever was in the house, you can only assume. Um, it, it is not my intent to try to argue that the people on the left are insane like this guy, or even that the people on the left and the Democratic Party more broadly are responsible for what this guy did specifically. It's not really my argument today, but, but I will say this, to put it kind of within the, the mindset or my camp of thinking, um, I've heard very often about the Crusades and, and how many atrocities were done by Christians, and then you'll have atheists like uh, Richard Dawkins come along and say things like, you don't need God for good, but you do need a God for all of the evil that took place in God's name throughout history. And so he's talking about the Crusades and that kind of stuff, and, and, and maybe the Inquisition, different things that took place in, in history where Christians were legitimately doing things that were not good, were evil. Um, and so the, the, that argument clearly misses something that's really important, which is, which is this, is that the bloodiest century in human history was the 20th century, and most of the body count, if not all of it, were done in the name of godless atheism and communist atheism at that. Um, and so the bloodiest century uh, past and, and present and hopefully future is the 20th century, the 1900s, and, and, and every single one of those toes have a toe tag from, from godless Marxist atheism by and large. And so uh, the, the point in saying that is this, is that whenever Christians in the past have done horrible, atrocious things, and they have done it in the past, 
Whenever they've done it, it has always been in violation to the ideology of Christianity. So in the Crusades, when they're roasting Muslims and, and cannibalizing them and eating them and all sorts of other horrible things or beheading people in the Inquisition, it's always done clearly in opposition to the teaching of Scripture and to the teaching of Christ. Now on the flip side, when godless, godless atheism does what it does, like it did in the 20th century, it is usually in keeping with the ideology of atheism because there is nothing specifically that would have outlawed them from doing it within the mindset, within the framework of atheism. So in other words, Christians were being logically inconsistent when they did what they did in the Crusades while atheists and godless communist atheists were doing that which was logically consistent according to their worldview. So this is the scary thing. What I will try to argue today is much of what we're hearing um, from the left is the kind of rhetoric that truly is in keeping ideologically with what this guy did by showing up at Brett Kavanaugh's house. Now, I'm going to justify that here in just a moment so that you so that you don't go immediately to the comment section and and uh, dismiss what I'm saying. So hang with me. Before I get there, I want to make sure that you know that this show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Funding right now. Go below if you have any mortgage needs and go to the show notes or the description of this podcast where you can access a link to go directly to kevinblairteam.com where they can help you with whatever your mortgage needs are. I would encourage you as we continue to grow our channel to consistently go down there. If you have any needs whatsoever and look at all of our sponsors so that you can have your needs met by the people who really deserve your business the most. So do that now. And if you go over there to Element Funding, let the guys know that Indie Thinker sent you. All right, before I can justify the claim about it being logically consistent for this guy to do what he did by showing up at Kavanaugh's house, I need to make sure you understand what took place. So for those who aren't aware, uh, after the Supreme Court had their majority decision leaked. Now, this is this is just a writing. It's a decision that's in paper, but it but it is not an officially made decision. So, of course, there's nothing that has happened to Roe v. Wade, but it hasn't stopped the Democratic Party and leftists specifically from freaking out about Roe v. Wade and the future of abortion in America, which, of course, we know at this point in time, or hopefully you know, that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, all that simply means is that abortion becomes a state issue. That the states will decide among themselves with their constituents, duly elected by the people of that state, what to do with abortion on a state-by-state -state issue, all right? So didn't stop the left from freaking out and dispelling a whole bunch, spewing a whole bunch of rhetoric about, about Roe v. Wade. Now, fast forward a little bit, and so you have political leaders and people in the media uh, basically glad-handing those who wish to show up outside of the homes of Supreme Court justices. I can show you a couple of clips of people, political class and media, just saying that it's just absolutely fine for these people to show outside of the homes of, of Supreme Court justices and to protest. So here's a little bit of that. So I know that there's an outrage right now, I guess, about uh, protests that have been peaceful to date, and we certainly continue to encourage that outside of judges' homes, and that's the president's position. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. Um, maybe these protests and maybe this outcry gives Chief Justice Roberts some leverage for a more moderate mm -hmm. approach 
uh, because we saw during the hearing that he was looking for a way, a moderate way um, to handle this, this, uh, this, this case. Yes, they're going to be protesting in front of Kavanaugh's house because people are angry. Um, and as long as they stay nonviolent, I think for most, of, for most of the people who are watching it, you can understand wh- where they're coming from. Now, it is not surprising to me at all because there is no understanding of the sacred among the secularists on the left side of the aisle uh, that they would be okay with people going into or going on the premises of people's homes or just outside of their homes even to try to, quote unquote, let their voice be heard as though this was a major part of American democracy to show up in people's homes to try to protest. And then, of course, there's been a bunch of equivocating how January 6th um, is uh, is the raising of the temperature to create the atmosphere for these kind of things to take place while the left continues to reign, remain blissfully ignorant how they might be doing the same thing here in this situation. Now, I want to just digress for a moment and just say, listen, I don't blame anybody on the media or in our political class for what just happened. So let's get to the what happened. So uh, just last Wednesday, there was a young man that traveled, he was 26 years old, traveled from Simi, California, Simi Valley, California, over to, uh, I believe it's Chevy Chase, Maryland, to, to the East Coast to show up at Brett Kavanaugh's home in the wee hours of the morning. He did so with a gun, with zip ties, with a knife, and with pepper spray. And he was found on the lawn of Brett Kavanaugh's home, and then he was arrested. He actually called the police himself because he saw the security around the home and realized there's zero chance that I'm actually going to be able to get away with doing this. Called the police on himself. Security forces came upon the guy, and then he was apprehended. All right, so as we can tell, it is very clear that this dude intended to do harm to the Kavanaugh family. In fact, later there would be a uh, an open letter or something that he had written, needless to say, to give his motive for showing up at Kavanaugh's home. And of course, the motive was this. The motive was that he did not like the decision that the Supreme Court was making on Roe v. Wade in that leaked document. And then also he didn't like what was happening at Robb Elementary School with the, with the shooting of children and the fact that conservatives usually, by and large, are in favor of very moderate gun control. And so in order to protest uh, Roe v. Wade and in order to protest the killing of children at, uh, at Robb Elementary in Evalde, Texas, among other things, I'd assume, but specifically he mentioned that, uh, he, he decided that the best thing to do would be to go full-on hypocrite and kill Brett Kavanaugh because, again, he didn't like the idea of women having to have back alley abortions and their life being at risk and their lives of children being at risk by mass shooters, so he decided the only thing he could do was to shoot and to kill somebody else in order to keep that from happening. But I argue this. I already showed you some of the rhetoric about showing up at the houses of Supreme Court justices, but here is the ideology, the the mentality behind all of that, is that we've been told by the left that what happens if you overturn Roe v. Wade is that back alley abortions come back and women's lives are at risk and we have to protect women. Um, And then you also hear about we have to protect kids from mass shooters and so we need very rigorous and strict gun laws and conservatives are never going to be the one ones who do either one of those things and so now now think about this if i'm going to talk about logical consistency consistency follow me here when you say that 
conservative justices or conservatives writ large are going to be responsible for the death of thousands of women. By the way, Narrell, N-A-R-A-L, lied about their statistics with back alley abortions and the death of women where you get that like rusty coat hanger thing. All of that is a lie from Narrell. Um, but, but think about this. So if conservatives will be responsible for the death of multiple women in back alley abortions, and then also uh, conservatives will be responsible for the death of many, many children because of their very laissez-faire attitude toward guns, well, then it only is logically consistent that to save the lives of many, you must risk the life of a singular person. So because of their rhetoric around these issues, and by the way, kind of side note, forget the fact that, you know, like they want to protect children and this guy was willing to kill Kavanaugh to protect children, which makes no sense, but also too, like, if you really care about protecting children, you might think about, you might rethink that abortion thing. I digress. Nonetheless, so if, if this is really what's at stake, then, then, then it almost is logically consistent that somebody would do what this guy did. So, because of the false and emotional talking points of the left, they have created a world for many people who believe these guys, they've created a world in which this kind of act of aggression, this senseless mental instability is perfectly logical. So now again, not blaming the left or Democrats more broadly for what took place, but I am saying that because of the world that they want to try to create with their lies, because they like people getting emotional about these things, and because they're not willing to substantively talk about the issues, they are creating the precursor for these kind of things to take place. Now, I do have to say this because I think I hear on the other side of this people saying, well, this is all we're saying about Donald Trump. He's the one that, that raised the temperature in the room on January 6th. Can we just stop there for a moment and use a little bit of nuance and tell the difference between two things real quick? I know dogs and cats look very similar because they walk on all fours, but there is a difference. All, you know, all people with a mustache are not Hitler. So here's the deal. When you encourage people to peacefully protest, which is exactly what Donald Trump said, you can go back and look at it yourself, and do so in a public place like the Capitol. Now, push aside the fact, I know these, the guys that went there were unruly, were stupid, and shouldn't have done what they did. But is there not a world of difference between encouraging people to go to that public place paid for by our tax dollars and going to somebody's private residence and to protest there and to be angry about what's going on there. Now, I've already talked about the secular and the sacred thing there, I suppose, but, but, but when you don't have any understanding of, of a person's house being a sacred place that doesn't need to be violated, it's, it's no wonder why they're okay glad-handing this kind of thing. But the whole point is this, is that when people are emotional, they don't think clearly. When emotions are high, communication is low. And this is what we're seeing on the gun control issue. And I'm going to try to prove it to you with, I guess I would call, the, the most five common arguments when it comes to gun control. So what I would like to do is I want to give you some of the arguments that we're hearing from the left about gun control, and then I want to try to apply some logic to those things. You won't agree with me with, with all of these things, but hopefully from it you will at least go with the understanding that we should have a very clear and, 
devoid of emotions as much as possible, understanding of what gun control looks like in a way that would be helpful and beneficial to keep things like what happened at Robb Elementary School from happening in the future. So I wanna show you the very first clip here. And the very first one comes from our man, Matthew McConaughey. And he doesn't think things are all right, all right, all right, and they aren't in Uvalde, Texas. But I want you to hear from him because he's he kind of represents the liberal side of things. Now he's a very, I would say, common sense liberal, uh, but, uh, but definitely a liberal. So here is his offering as far as what gun control would look like to keep Uvalde, Texas from happening in the future. You laid out four basic things. Right. Um, one of them is raising the age. 1821 for AR-15s. Yes, sir. And the like. Yes, sir. Uh, and here's the op-ed. What what else in there? Oh, well, we talk about background. We talk about red flag, and I also uh, a waiting period, just to call it a pause after purchase. I think could be a good idea. I know it's going to be a tough one to push across, but I just I just know of so many. It's true that so many of uh, the people um, that don't need a gun in their hands are are committing crimes of passion, and that sometimes a pause. Hey, get your mind off it. Let your let your intentions be intercepted by something else. Over a period of time, could stop quite a few of these kind of crimes. It polls very well, um, but when you hear Republicans and they push back on some of the specifics, right. concerns about red flag laws, okay. or concerns about that laws currently are not being enforced, right. what do you say to them? It's a, it's a great point because let's look, look, look to start with. Let's go back to where the right and where the Republicans, what, what, they're, what they're staunch on is, hey, mental health, we got, we got a problem with the people, not the tool, okay? We're hearing that. We're in values, family values, parenting, well, all these different things that we, we got to restore those. School safety. School safety. You know, all these things make sense. I, we have, that's the root of the problem is the mentally ill people that are committing the crimes. We fix people. We're probably not having this conversation. We're not up here for the reason we're up here. We're not going to fix people. That's going to be a lifetime job after we're here and after we're, our, after we're gone for our kids and their kids after. I do think there are some things we can do to keep the guns out of the bad guy's hands. What he just said there, I think, is really telling because this is the one thing that we don't really get often in the debate. We get somebody consenting to the reality of the opposition's argument. And so he said right there, essentially, that the right really has the right answer at the end of the day. This is not about machine, this is about man. But then he goes on to give a couple of prescriptions. Now, I, I, I already know what people are going to say when, when I talk about his prescriptions, because they're going to say what Matthew already said. This is the way we're kind of engineered to think, I think, on these things, is we'll say, well, some prescription is better than no prescription, or how come you don't offer um, your, your own prescription here? You're just going to critique what he says. Because, because I, I actually happen to think that if you don't create resolutions to the problem you're seeking to fix, then you're actually not doing anything. And this is my argument here is that none of the prescriptions that McConaughey mentions in his televised appearances actually would have stopped Evaldi from happening. So let's deal specifically just with the big one, right? So the big one is let's raise the, the 
age for owning an AR or a gun like that. Let's let's make it 21 and not 18, and even kind of throw in the mix there. Let's let's keep people cool so that they don't have to you know do a, a crime of passion or anything like that. Let's let the let's let them wait a little bit before they can own a gun. Well, ultimately, all that would have done in this situation is forced this individual to move to a handgun. If you remember, the police didn't go into the school until 40 minutes after they arrived on the scene. So all that means is this guy killed 21 people and shot more. And he would have just had to reload once instead of not reloading at all. We can, we can assume. We don't know how many times he reloaded. At least I hadn't heard uh, that, that number. But ultimately, all he would have had to do is just change one magazine. And, and that's assuming, too, that the magazine that the, uh, the gunman was using was a high-capacity magazine. Now, whether or not it, it was is not important. What's important is just this is that the solution that McConaughey is offering is just a is a solution geared toward making killing people slower, right? So if we're not willing to have the conversation of taking all guns away from people and totally abolishing the Second Amendment, then what are we truly wishing to solve by raising the age limit to 21 rather than 18? This guy could have done it when he was 21 and then there would have been no difference whatsoever. You say, well, just, we need to do something. Of course, yes, 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 yes. We need to do something, right? We need to have conversations about these things, and we need to not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. But my question is, is are these really good solutions? Solutions that don't actually keep shootings from taking place, like what took place in Evaldi, are not helpful whatsoever. All right, and so we go to this next kind of argument, because I know many people are saying, okay, so does that mean we just get rid of guns altogether? Because you're going to hear the slippery slope argument in this second clip from our buddy Trevor Noah. So let me play that for you, and we'll dig into that. I always say the same thing. Oh, it's a slippery slope. Which guns do you ban? You know, like, which guns do you want to ban? It's like, well, just start with the ones that people seem to be using over and over again to go into schools to kill a bunch of children at one time. Oh, but that won't, what if they come with a, yeah, then we'll deal with that. You know, it's a lot harder to commit these mass shootings when you don't have certain types of weapons. What I found fascinating about the argument that Trevor Noah just laid out is that ultimately he's, he's saying that people are concerned about the slippery slope argument for no good reason. And then ultimately he comes out and says, well, what we're doing right now isn't really going to solve gun crimes like we see them in the present because actually gun crimes are mostly done with handguns, so you eliminate rifles and AR-15s with high-capacity rounds and all that stuff. It's not really going to solve that, but at least it's a step. I mean, right there, he's admitting, he's like, like he's, he's, he is not a good poker, poker player, suffice to say. He's admitting what the goal is. The goal is to slide straight down that slippery slope. Let's eliminate this for now because we think we have a better chance of doing that so that we can eventually come back and eliminate the guns that are the problem. And so here's the deal, is that unless you're going to just totally destroy the Second Amendment, many of the arguments the left are, are using are slippery slope arguments that ultimately tip the hand of people like me and make me think what you're actually after is you're after all guns, not just some guns. And so it's hard to have a conversation with people that you do not believe are honest brokers in the conversation. And it sure doesn't seem that, that Trevor is, because... 
again, we need to go back to the McConaughey thing and kind of combine that with what we're talking about now. Can we at least have conversations that would that would substantively have changed what took place in Uvalde, if that's what we're gonna say is the real issue here and the things that's got us thinking about these things. So let's pose some things that might actually have made a difference. And because I've spoken about it so much on the show before, I, I don't wanna go into detail with these things, but suffice to say, the things that would have made a difference, those things include armed teachers or armed security. Um, over the weekend, I heard somebody say this, and I think it's a valid point. It's that, like, listen, we've got people with guns protecting money. And you say, well, a teacher didn't go to their job to protect kids. Well, guess what they're going to do? When a gunman comes into that school, if a gunman comes into a school, then what they're going to do is they're going to lay down their life and they're going to risk their life to save those kids Hopefully, right? That's the best case scenario. Hopefully we can agree on that. So why not give them a fighting chance to actually stand up for themselves, defend themselves, and fight back rather than just to be a sacrificial lamb? Why not arm them to equip them to be a lion to fight back and keep more kids from dying? No, they're not going into weapons arms training to be a teacher. But if we are not going to have conversations that actually make sense, at least we could have somebody there that's armed protecting children, if not the teachers armed and protecting kids, so that these kind of things don't happen in the future. And then we think about not only arming teachers or perhaps making sure that we pay somebody at all times to be there that is armed, but you think about one point of entry, only one, and locked doors everywhere else that you can exit out of but cannot come into. And in fact, making that one point of entry locked as well, making sure that, hey, there's a camera there and you have to be buzzed in to get into the school in the first place. Now, because it's not a perfect solution, because there's the Evaldi the shooter got in through a back door that was jarred, uh, that was cocked open, that somebody had just left open, it's not a perfect solution, but it's a but it's at least a logical and one that that makes common sense rather than totally destroying the second amendment and 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 continuing to offer up things that definitely wouldn't have helped at least in the Uvalde shooting case. All right, but it doesn't stop the left from kind of positing the craziest of solutions to uh, to gun ownership and gun laws. And so here is the id of the Democratic Party, the brain children, the geniuses over at The View talking about gun ownership. So here's Joy Behar talking about the fact that if more black people owned guns, then, uh, then there would be a greater incentive for the right to uh, enact gun laws. Again, he is a black man. It's odd. Most AR-15 owners are former military, okay. 35 plus Let me and married. Say one more thing. So that's all I'm saying okay. is that they're yeah. not once, crazy once, people. Okay. Here's the thing. Once black people get guns in this country, the gun laws will change. Trust me. Uh, restrict gun ownership, I guess, with a laissez-faire, kind of just like any way they want to. Okay, step back. Because all that was fine. Okay, so I can handle this one pretty quickly so we can move on to the next one. So the irony of what J Joy Behar said right there is that first of all, a black woman is talking about responsible gun ownership and Joy Behar is assumedly saying that all conservatives, conservatives are racist because the moment that black uh, AR, or AR-15s wind up in the hands of black people, that's when conservatives will be motivated finally to act. Well, the ironic thing there on the surface is that which one is it, Joy? Is it conservatives want gun control or the left wants gun control? Because as it stands, the only people calling for gun control are people like 
you, or at least really oppressive and extensive overhauling of the Second Amendment, that's that's people like you. So, so is it good to have gun control or bad to have gun control? Well, she can't answer the question because what she just said is totally logically inconsistent and essentially incoherent. It makes sense in that she's asking um, for us to suspend our belief and say that uh, that gun restrictions would happen in an imaginary world because uh, Republicans are obviously racist. But if that's true, if gun ownership is related to racism, well, then the people who um, or sorry, if gun restrictions are related to racism, then it then it sure seems that the Democratic Party are are the racists there. If that's if that's how you square that round uh, round hole. So anyway, let's jump on to the next thing, and and this one I love the most because uh, the people who hate guns the most are the ones who know the least about guns. And here's our esteemable president talking about AR-15s. Weapons and high capacity magazines. No one needs to have a weapon that can fire over 30, 40, 50, even up to 100 rounds, unless you think the deer are wearing Kevlar vests or something. Well, this is just true. The people fighting against gun ownership are the people who know the least about guns because they don't own guns, because they don't believe, by and large, that people should own guns, whether it be a handgun or an AR-15. And Biden just proved it. I mean, what does he think about uh, a, a, a AR-15 actually is when he says, do you need that because a deer is wearing a Kevlar vest? I mean, I mean, does he know that like armor-piercing rounds don't come inside of AR-15s just like, uh, just randomly? Uh, <laughs> that, that an AR-15 has nothing to do with armor-piercing rounds and Kevlar vests? Like, what is he even talking about? In fact, the word, the, the AR is just for a brand of gun. It doesn't actually mean assault rifle. Most people on the left don't even know this. And by and large, the vast majority of guns and the guns that a person can own, only a person can own, that is a private citizen, is a semi-automatic gun, which means one bullet, one trigger. So you pull, you pull the trigger once and one bullet comes out of it. And that's the same of an AR-15. Most people have this, this belief that like an AR-15, just because it looks different, is like is the Rambo gun that you pull the trigger once and it's an automatic gun and all of a sudden it's a machine gun. No, it fires a bullet just like a handgun. But this brings us to the, to the next thing, which I think is probably one of the more important things, or at least was eye-opening to me which is this, is, is the reason that we don't want to outlaw ARs or assault rifles, and, and we don't want to have an all-out ban on those kind of guns, is in fact for the sake of protecting people. So let me, let me show you this next clip, and instead of being a clip on the left, this is a clip on the right that will kind of help you understand why some people believe that ARs are, are, and rifles like an AR-15 is an important gun to have. So just, just check this out. And then if my wife needed to protect the home, I would much rather her have an AR than a handgun. She's not good with a handgun, but she's good with an AR. And this is my right to be able to have those things. And so we're, if you're talking about how do we stop a homicidal maniac that arbitrarily wants to kill innocent people, I'm here to tell you it ain't the gun. Two of the deadliest days in this country were what? The Oklahoma City bombing. Yep. Fertilizer was used. 183 people were killed. The, 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 the deadliest day in American history was what? 9-11. Sure. 
There's an airplane. 2,996 people were killed. Airplanes and box cutters. When a homicidal maniac wants to do harm, it ain't the gun. And what my concern is is this. If you take away the gun, then what do they use? Okay, so the idea here is something that I just recently heard from somebody who was an army vet, a friend of mine, and he said this. The reason I prefer an AR is not because it has a high capacity magazine, but because I am not good with a handgun. The federal government trained me to shoot with an AR, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I can put one in the head and two in the chest, and I can do so with proficiency if I'm in a place where I need to protect my family, protect my wife and my kids in my home. And so this is the reality. This is kind of the double-edged sword that I don't think the, the left is willing to entertain. Guns are deadly in the wrong hands, but in the right hands, they are also very efficient at protecting people. And AR-15s actually ha happen to be guns that are much easier and, and better to use for people who are trained. So sure, make sure the people who have guns are trained and, and be more serious about those kind of things to make sure that people have the familiarity with what they're doing rather than to try to take things from, from people and, and to make, which is a recipe to ensure that the people who do not know anything about guns are the ones who can have them in their hands, right? When you take them from people, if a gun winds up in their hand, then these are the people who have never had it and don't know how to use them, which is a recipe for disaster. And, and so the point there is this, is that responsible gun ownership is the recipe for, for curing what we're seeing right now, for, um, for irresponsible gun ownership and the violation of guns. Responsible gun ownership, where people understand what it means to put their guns away and to protect their guns, to make sure that others can't access their guns, that, and to make sure that those who do have guns know how to use those guns. Responsible gun ownership is the cure for bad gun ownership. All right, so the very last thing I wanna show is I wanna show a clip from Jon Stewart on his show. Now, I did this in the past, but I think it's so important because whenever we talk about gun ownership and responsible gun ownership, um, this is always kind of the talking point that you hear from the left. Well, how come we have these problems in America, but they don't, but there's no problems anywhere else in the world like this, right? There's more guns than people in the United States. So here's Jon Stewart talking about uh, the amount of guns that we have. We've lost the war on guns. Personally, I knew it was over after Sandy Hook. We had a chance to pick guns or kindergartners, and we went with guns. There are 393 million guns in America. Here's the deal. The problem with guns is that there's too many of them. And while research clearly shows more guns, more deaths, let's defer to the victors in this war. Well, I hate to rain on the parade, but according to a 2019 study, the countries with the highest number of gun violence crimes is, and I'll give it to you in order. First of all, is El Salvador. Secondly, Venezuela. And then finally, at third, we come to what I hate to admit, it breaks my heart to say it, but I gotta be honest and I gotta concede John Stewart's point here, the third on the list for the most gun violence as of 2019 per country, Guatemala. And in fact, if you look at a top 10 list of gun violence in, in, in the world, America is far, 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 far down on the list in number 28. So yeah, we may have more guns than the rest of the world, but we are not the worst country in the world for gun violence. In fact, the amount of self-inflicted gun wounds is far higher here in America than it than as far as compared to other countries than uh, gun violence in other 
other places around the world. So hopefully that makes sense. But needless to say, as far as comparing countries to countries, suicide is a, is a bigger problem with self-inflicted gun wounds than actually murder or violence with, with guns. So the point being is this, is that if we're going to make accusations, we need to make sure the facts are in our favor. And as far as gun ownership in America is concerned, it's just that fact has no bearing on the fact that some of these mass shootings happen. It just, it just doesn't. Those two things, that's a non sequitur. Those two things don't relate to the other, right? Just because we have a bunch of guns doesn't mean that this Evaldi shooter was able to kill those kids in Rob, at Robb Elementary. Maybe one other thing that I forgot to mention is that if we're gonna talk about substantive like cures to this thing, then we need to talk about training the police because what would have been a good, uh, a good opportunity for the police uh, to stop this from happening would have been to go into that school much sooner than they actually did. Because uh, as I've mentioned before in past episodes, there are reports coming out that there was an active shooter while the, the police were waiting outside. And when they've told us that the shooter was a barricaded shooter, uh, which we now know is not true. And so the point is, is, is this, is that um, where there's smoke, there's fire, but just make sure that we're not confusing smoke with clouds here. And by that, I mean just this. Just because there is a large amount of gun ownership in America does not necessarily mean that that is the reason that these things are happening. And it certainly doesn't mean that we can go around falsely claiming that mass shootings happen more in America than anywhere else in the world, which is just not true. But here's the point, I guess, at the end of the day that I wanna to come to with all of this stuff because gun control, quite frankly, I'm not a gun owner. I'm going to be sometime in the future, but I'm presently not a gun owner. So I'm not fighting because, because I am one, but because I believe it's important to get to the truth and get to the bottom of things and to have real conversations. And as far as I can tell, I think this is what's going on. So there is this tendency in human nature to want the greatest amount of benefit at the cheapest possible cost. You know, so we'll call it Dollar Tree Syndrome, but you call it whatever you want. We want the greatest benefit at the cheapest possible cost. This is a, this is a human maxim throughout all of humanity. Now here's the problem, and this is why the left fundamentally does not understand the flawed nature of humanity, is that ultimately when we're talking about an issue like this, like like responsible gun ownership and the misuse of guns and mass shootings and the like. What we're talking about is a much bigger issue that cannot have like easy, pithy, quick answers given to it. In fact, the opposite is true. We need to have deep, deep conversations and a deep dialogue, nationally speaking, about what would cause these things. And in my mind, that's two things. One, it's a conversation about mental health. We need to put the kind of effort, money, and just the, the tenacity of the gun controllists on the left behind mental health. Now again, we, this is what I hear many people say. They say, well, you know, maybe we need some baby steps because mental health is such a big issue. You heard Matthew McConaughey say this, say this, say this on the Brett Baer interview. But, but what I'm gonna suggest to you is this, is that the squeaky wheel gets the grease and simple cheap solutions will become the kind of the, the, the throwaway because we'll say, well, we've did this, so we don't really have to focus on this. And so what I'm saying is we need to put all of our emotion, all of our energy around focusing on what the big 
the big ticket items are and not spend time just with easy answers because we will find that we typically do not come back on the other side of that to real answers and to the things that really matter if we give ourselves cheap solutions. So, so mental health is one of those things. And, and I think probably the most important thing is the thing that we run away from the most. We say, forget your moments of prayers, forget your, or sorry, your moments of silence, forget your prayers for the families. What we need is we need real gun change. Well, actually, I think the opposite of that is totally true. Because we look for easy solutions, one of the things we're not willing to talk about is this conversation about morals and values and from whence we derive our understanding of what is important and what is good. In other words, we're not willing to have the deep conversation of what a human being is and why they are valuable in the first place. The Democrats and the left especially want you to derive your values from them. They want you to outsource all of your responsibility and to put it in their hands. But what I'm really trying to say here is not really any of that. I'm trying to say this. If we cannot agree upon a set group of moral principles, if we cannot agree upon the definition of truth, I mean, for crying out loud, we cannot decide whether or not a man can get pregnant or not in America. If we cannot agree upon a very simple baseline definition of, of reality and truth as it relates to reality, then we will not truly be able to talk about the value of human life. We will not be able to talk about from whence we derive our values. And we will not be able to talk about what is good and what is evil in the first place. We, we need to step back. And instead of assume that the government has any solution whatsoever, we need to step back and start asking what a real solution looks like. And, and I think we have to be honest about this. As obscure and as difficult as it may be, I think we have to start talking about the human heart and what we've been feeding the human heart and what we've been, and, and what we've been doing to the human heart over centuries here in America that have, that have increased the suicide rate, that have caused us to move further and further away from religious moral values in the West. And we need to have these kind of conversations and be honest about what it is doing to us mentally and emotionally. And until we're willing to have those big conversations, I honestly don't want to hear about your small solutions because what you're trying to do is you're, you're putting a Band-Aid over a dam that's breaking and it's never going to fix the issue. The heart of the issue is the heart of the issue. And if you're not willing to talk about it, then I'm not, I don't think the conversation is worthwhile. So we need to get to the heart of the issue. And so I would say, again, it's mental health and it's moral values. And yeah, you, you may be hearing what I'm saying in the midst of this. When we have a conversation about moral values, we're going to have to talk about religion. We're going to have to talk about spirituality. We're going to have to talk about Jesus and whether or not he is who he said he is. And if he is who he said he is, then it's the greatest story on the planet. If he is who he says he is, if he can bring about the power of human change, then, then I think it's worth looking into. And I don't know anybody that can fix the human heart except for the person that assumedly made it. And so that's why I think we need to have big conversations about moral values and mental health. And until we do that, I don't think we're really interested in solving the problem. 
All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. If this was helpful to you at all, please make sure to share it with others. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.